1: Hi, thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Cassandra Holloway, and you're listening to Health Essentials Podcast by Cleveland Clinic. Today, we're broadcasting from Cleveland Clinic's main campus right here in Cleveland, Ohio, and we're here today with Dr. Benjamin Clater. Thanks for being here. It's my pleasure. Dr. Clater is a neurologist in Cleveland Clinic's Neuromuscular Center, and today we're going to be talking about neuropathy. Before we begin, we want to remind listeners that this is for informational purposes only and should not replace your own doctor's advice. So it's estimated that nearly 20 million people in the United States suffer from some sort of neuropathy which in and of itself we know can be a vague term with a multitude of causes. So Dr. Clater, can you start off by just giving us a basic definition of what is neuropathy?
0: Well well in its most basic sense when people use that term neuropathy typically what they're talking about is injury or dysfunction to a nerve in, or a group of nerves in the peripheral nervous system. So that's all the nerves that are outside the brain and spinal cord, the brain and spinal cord making up the, the central nervous system.
1: Great. So uh, you mentioned nerves. Can you kind of go into the basics of, of what nerves it affects? I know motor nerves is one of them. What else?
0: Sure. So um, neuropathies can affect different populations of um, nerves, and depending on what type of nerves are affected, it can lead to a variety of symptoms. So Um, Neuropathies that affect motor nerves um, will cause weakness. Now that's not the only symptom um, people might notice that their uh, muscle size becomes smaller, they can have cramping or twitching of the muscles as well. When sensory nerves are involved, the uh, the main symptom that people experience is numbness, but they can also have pain. And the, the pain is often described as almost electric-like, burning, prickling, stabbing. Those are some of the kind of common adjectives that, that I hear my patients uh, using. Um, Autonomic nerves can be affected as well. So the autonomic nervous system is the parts of the nervous system that controls all the things that we're not really aware of throughout the day. So things like sweating heart rate, blood pressure, all all of these things, our body is just sort of automatically regulating for us. And if if an autonomic nerve is involved, you may see um, problems like lightheadedness or or dizziness on standing. And then um, there are a group of nerves that that primarily um, go to the face. They're called cranial nerves. And those are actually usually just either motor or sensory nerves. So you can have numbness or or motor problems, um, but specifically kind of affecting the facial region.
1: Seems like there's so many different types of neuropathy. It could be so complex.
0: There are Pro- probably over a hundred. Would would be a, uh, an underestimation.
1: Wow, that's crazy. Uh, so, what are some of the common conditions linked to neuropathy? I know carpal tunnel is one of them. Kind of, what are those most common ones that you see?
0: Sure. So, um, well, if we're talking about neuropathies that affect a single nerve, um, I would call that a mononeuropathy. Carpal tunnel is probably the most common uh, mononeuropathy. That's where there is pinching or or injury of nerve in the wrist, and it causes a lot of numbness, pain in the hand, can cause weakness, and oftentimes people notice a lot of um, uh, symptoms waking them up at night, so they wake up with a lot of numbness or or pain in the hand. When we're talking about neuropathies that affect more than one nerve, the, the term that we will often use is polyneuropathy, and typically those types of neuropathies, although not always, will start in the feet, and then as they progress, they can move up and later involve the hands. Um, and in the United States, probably the most common causes of those polyneuropathies are um, two conditions. One is diabetes, and the second one is, um, is alcohol use. So alcohol can actually be directly toxic to, to nerves and, and cause nerve injury.
1: That's really interesting. So you mentioned diabetic neuropathy. I want to talk a little bit about that. Is that the most common form of neuropathy, would
0: yeah. you say? Uh, I would. Um, diabetes can, um, can lead to many different kinds of neuropathy, so it's actually a risk factor for carpal tunnel. Um, when, when people use the term diabetic neuropathy, they're typically referring to that polyneuropathy that starts in the feet, usually with numbness, burning pain, and then over time, as it gets worse, it can lead to a little bit of weakness. But there are many other types of neuropathies that are associated with diabetes. So there's actually an autonomic neuropathy that people can get. Um, and that can cause a lot of lightheadedness on standing. Um, it's important to think about because it's actually um, a, uh, a risk factor for mortality. Um, so diabetics who have this diabetic autonomic neuropathy tend to have more um, heart complications. So it's something that we always think about and ask patients about um, because it can, um, it can be a big impact on their, on their lives. And that's just really only a few of the neuropathies associated with, with diabetes. There, there are actually several more.
1: That's interesting. So you mentioned diabetes, alcohol use for neuropathies. What are some other common causes of neuropathy?
0: Um, uh, another common cause is um, vitamin deficiencies. So oftentimes when we see patients with neuropathy, um, especially if they've been losing weight, sometimes we'll screen for for low vitamins. Um, uh, diseases that affect other parts of the body can affect nerves, sort of as a bystander. So, rheumatologic conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, lupus can sometimes be associated um, with neuropathy. There are various medications that that um, that are. Um, treating other symptoms, but uh, n- nerves are, um, are sort of innocent bystanders. And the most common example of that would be a chemotherapy-induced neuropathy. So when somebody receives a chemotherapeutic medication in an effort to treat their cancer or malignancy, um, but a- as a result of taking that medication, it can lead to, to nerve damage. There are things in the environment um, that can affect nerves. So like we had talked about, alcohol is, is a big one. Um, but there are other toxins that can affect nerve function things like heavy metals. Um, age is probably also a risk factor for neuropathy. So if you look at who gets neuropathy, the incidence kind of keeps climbing with every with every decade of life. Um, and that's because nerves are very long cells. They're actually some of the longest cells in the body. And so they, as a product of being so long, are just exposed to a lot of wear and tear over time. Um, and then there are, are groups of patients where we never figure out exactly what causes their neuropathy, and, and that's probably because it's a little of this, a little of that, and so it's oftentimes hard to pin down exactly what the underlying explanation is.
1: That kind of unexplained neuropathy you're talking about. Interesting. How, how often do you see that?
0: Um, depends on the type of neuropathy that we're seeing, um, and, and really when you, when you look at this group of patients who have unexplained neuropathy, this is a group that keeps shrinking over time. As we're discovering more and more things that are causing neuropathy, um, this group of people who we sort of label as idiopathic is shrinking, but you know anywhere from 20-25% of patients we see with neuropathy, we may not get an exact answer as to, to what the cause is.
1: Sure. Somewhat good news, it sounds like, maybe if it's shrinking.
0: Yes, absolutely, absolutely.
1: Can neuropathy ever be hereditary?
0: Um, It can. Um, So a small subset of patients can have uh, hereditary neuropathies. Oftentimes there's a family history, but, but not always. And those neuropathies tend to be very, very slowly progressive over time. As if you think about it, you know the, um people with hereditary neuropathies have had these genes their entire life but they not act they may not actually present with symptoms until they're in their 20s, 30s, 40s, e- even later, we've seen. Um, and that's just because they, their symptoms are so slowly progressive that they kind of adapt to, to having sensory loss and a little bit of weakness without not really knowing that, that something is wrong until they until they get older and, and those deficits kind of um, build up over time.
1: Sure. Kind of frightening that it could hit you at any pa- point the more you age.
0: It, it is. But I, I mean, sort of the, the silver lining with these hereditary neuropathies is that they are slowly progressive. And that we can often help people manage some of their uh, symptoms. So, if balance or weakness at the ankle is a problem, we have different ways of targeting those symptoms. May not have a cure for uh, genetic types of uh, neuropathies, for most genetic neuropathies, but we, we do have a lot of workarounds and, and we can uh, improve people's quality of, of life despite not being able necessarily to, to cure the, the neuropathy itself.
1: Sure. So I know you talked a little bit about symptoms. Um, you mentioned numbness, tingling, pain, kinds of a hand, the hands and feet, loss of balance. What are some other hallmark signs or symptoms of neuropathy that someone, if if they're listening to this and they start saying, "Oh, I have that," like kind of what other signs and symptoms would you would you classify this as?
0: Um, well, I think I think um, probably the most common types of neuropathies start by affecting sensory nerves first. N- not always, but but that's sort of the typical course. And so most people with neuropathies, if it's, a, if it's a mononeuropathy like carpal tunnel in the wrist, or if it's a polyneuropathy in the feet, usually the first symptom that they will experience are, are those sensory symptoms. So pins and needles, numbness, pain. Typically people notice that when they're at at rest. So, oftentimes, especially in the beginning, when things are mild, they may not notice symptoms as they're going about their day, at their job, taking care of their kids. But then, as soon as the the, the end of the day comes, they they sit down, they unwind, and they that's when they often will start to notice these um, sensory symptoms. Um, certainly, if anyone is experiencing any um, weakness, you know, trouble with grip, trouble grabbing things, noticing that their foot is slapping when they when they walk, that's called foot drop. Those can all be signs of, um, of neuropathy as well. And then, um, if somebody is having um, a neuropathy that's affecting their autonomic nerves, um, usually the main symptom that they will notice is dizziness or lightheadedness on standing. And if it's severe, they can even lose consciousness because their blood pressure is getting so low. But other, other signs of um, autonomic neuropathies are um, changes in sweating. Um, changes in, in how fast the, the gut moves food along so they can have some nausea after eating, a little bit of constipation. Um, but, but typically the the manifestations of those autonomic neuropathies are a little bit more protean. They're, they're often difficult for people to recognize, especially especially at first when it's mild.
1: It's really interesting. So you mentioned numbness, uh, particularly like in the hands or feet. If someone has neuropathy and they, they notice that their their foot's going numb, why is that a concern? Like why does it matter so much if you can't Feel you know your hands or feet
0: so um, sensation does a lot of really important things for us that that most people who don 't have neuropathies don 't really appreciate throughout the day so so sen- um, sensory nerves help tell temperature, they help alert us to when our um, limbs are being injured so Uh, having sensation in those limbs is often protective people who have very severe neuropathies can sometimes injure their hands and feet and never even know it but probably um, even more important is the fact that that these sensory nerves help keep us upright so our sensory nerves are constantly sending signals to the brain and telling our brain where our limbs are in space and if we have a problem with some of those sensory nerves they're our brain just isn't getting that, that same information. So our brain doesn't really know what our hands and, and feet are doing. And that can lead to a whole host of problems. Sometimes people experience that as incoordination, coordination um, but, but more worrisome is when people have um, bad position sense in their feet, it can lead to falls and imbalance. And, and that can lead to a whole host of other problems just because of traumas related to falls.
1: Sure, makes sense. If someone listening to this podcast thinks that they have neuropathy, they're suffering from it, uh, walk us through what should they do? Should they seek primary care first? Should they see a neurologist? Kind of what are the first steps?
0: Um, I, I think a primary care doctor is a very good place to start because there are lots of other conditions that may mimic a neuropathy that, that might not actually be a neuropathy that a primary care doctor would pick up on, um, diagnose appropriately and, and, and may direct care in a, in a different direction away from um, from neuropathy. So I think a primary care provider is a good place to to start and then based on their evaluation they they may or may not feel that um a referral to a neurologist is warranted
1: gotcha makes sense Um, so let's say um someone comes into you and you know you suspect neuropathy how would you diagnose it what kind of tests or you know things would you do
0: Sure. The diagnosis of neuropathy really starts and is rooted in a good physical and a a good history. So um, taking a very detailed history about when the symptoms started, how the person first noticed them, what else has been going on, Um, taking a history about um, lifestyle or occupation or or other medical conditions or prior treatments if somebody's had like cancer. So history is really important. And then doing an exam to sort of confirm the presence of of nerve dysfunction in a pattern that looks like neuropathy. Because there can be, the, um, there could be other neurologic causes that might mimic neuropathy so somebody who has an issue with like the the spinal cord they may have numbness in their feet but the nerve function in the feet is intact the issue is actually in the central nervous system in the spinal cord so doing a physical exam trying to to confirm that this is a peripheral nervous system processes um, is really important and a lot of times the diagnosis can be made just um, on a history and physical exam if if Further testing is needed. Oftentimes, patients with neuropathy will um, undergo um, blood testing. Sometimes we will actually evaluate the electrical function of the nerve itself, and that's with a a procedure called um, an EMG or electromyography. This is a a test that um, actually um, looks at how the, the nerve is functioning and how the nerve and muscle are communicating um, with each other. And then um, probably more rarely, we need to do even more invasive testing. That would be doing things like a nerve biopsy, taking a piece of the nerve and actually looking at it under a microscope, looking for any changes that can um, suggest a diagnosis. Or sometimes we'll also do skin biopsies because your skin has all kinds of small nerve fibers that are that are distributed throughout the skin. And by doing biopsies, we can actually count the number of nerve fibers that are, that are in that particular biopsy segment and get an idea as to whether or not there is some nerve dysfunction going on. Wow,
1: that's really interesting. The whole nervous system is so fascinating with all these different nerves that could malfunction or backfire or anything like that. Um, okay, so let's talk about treatment. If you suspect someone has neuropathy that comes to see you, kind of walk us through the courses of treatment that you would maybe
0: try or suggest. It really depends on the underlying cause of neuropathy. So if if the individual had, let's say, a hereditary cause of neuropathy that didn't necessarily have a specific treatment or cure, um, for those individuals, we're really talking more about um, palliating their symptoms. So if they have weakness of the ankles, talking about how we can brace their ankles to make them feel more steady. If they're having problems with balance, talking about things like um, physical therapy to try to give them exercises to improve that. If pain or... Um, or sensory loss is a problem. Sometimes there are, are medications that um, that can help with that. On on the other end of the the spectrum are um, autoimmune causes of um, of neuropathy. So the, these are neuropathies that are due to the immune system attacking the nerve. And when we diagnose someone with an autoimmune cause of neuropathy, that's a very different treatment course because um, we're actually talking about treating the the cause um, with medications that that lower or alter the function of the Immune system. And then most neuropathies um, tend to fall somewhere in the, the middle of, of that. So um, if we can I- identify the offending agent, like if it's a medication, if it's you know um, um, something in the the person's lifestyle, you know, heavy metal, something like that, sometimes we might have a specific treatment for that. Um, if it's diabetes, then um, oftentimes exercise and, and weight loss may actually lead to stabilization or improvement in the neuropathy. And then, you know, regardless of the cause, we're, we're always talking about how we can um, improve symptoms and improve somebody's um, uh, life and, and well-being despite the presence of, of neuropathy.
1: Sure. So what other specialists are involved in managing neuropathy? You kind of touched on it a little bit. So, for instance, I know someone who has, you know, neuropathy of the feet and they see a podiatrist to make sure that their toenails are cut correctly. Kind of what other, um, you know, uh, physicians or um, kind of practices can you keep in your toolbox to help you manage neuropathy?
0: Um, physiatrist and orthotists are um, often providers that we um, uh, call on for um, additional help, um, especially when somebody has a lot of weakness or mobility problems because they um, are really great at thinking about how to um, um, provide either bracing or modifications in people's lives or in their homes to try to improve their ability to to get around. Um, physical therapists are also providers who we cannot do without um, because so many patients with neuropathy have balance problems. A physical therapist does really Good at maybe not making somebody 's balance better, but I think what physical therapists can often do is give people a little bit of insight into their weaknesses um, and so by alerting a patient to where they 're weak or where they may struggle or in in what situations they, they might have more difficulty, I think that they 're able to sort of develop workarounds for some of those uh, for some of those problems so physical therapists are are really vital in in taking care of patients with neuropathy, and then rarely we'll have um, uh surgeons involved too like if we're going to do a nerve biopsy that that would be sort of the role a surgeon could play in um in diagnosing and helping patients with with neuropathies and then we're always trying to enlist the help of of patients primary care doctors if it if it looks like there is a um, a chronic medical condition like diabetes that's causing neuropathy then we always like to you know to get everyone on the same page and and try to find ways to adequately manage you know these other health conditions that that may inadvertently be causing um, nerve injury. So primary care providers are are really, really an important part of this equation too.
1: Absolutely, it seems like a, a team effort. <laughs>
0: absolutely, absolutely, I mean th- these are complex problems that lead to a lot of symptoms and and often can lead to a lot of disability, so, so we do really need to enlist the help of a lot of different individuals.
1: Absolutely, so can neuropathy ever be life-threatening?
0: Very rarely, um, so there are some autoimmune causes of neuropathy. There's one called um, Guillain-Barré. This is a neuropathy that comes on very quickly over the course of several weeks, and if it's very severe, it can affect um, um, it can affect muscles that control breathing and swallowing, and you can imagine um, um, that that could potentially be um, life-threatening. Um, but Typically not. There there are these very few rare examples of of quickly progressing neuropathies. Usually they're they're um, caused by autoimmune disease, but but usually usually not life threatening.
1: What about the risk of like permanent nerve damage if if it goes untreated?
0: That's a great question. Um, the the peripheral nervous system has the ability to regenerate. Um, and and that's uh something that we can often use to our advantage. So if somebody has had a nerve injury, it doesn't always mean that it's that it's permanent. Now that ability to grow new nerves, to regenerate, to heal is 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 not inexhaustive. So um if somebody has had a nerve injury and this has been something that's been going on for years and years and years, well typically they're going to be left with some degree of of permanent symptoms. Now, if we can get to the underlying cause of the neuropathy, treat it um, in some way, then they might see some improvement over time, improvement over weeks and months and years. But typically, if this is a process that has been going on for more than two, three, four years, there's usually gonna be some degree of of permanent uh, injury to the nerves, which is, I think, why it's important to seek out um, an opinion if you think you may have a neuropathy, because the earlier that we can see people, the earlier that we can identify the underlying cause, um, the the prognosis is is better.
1: Is there ever like a risk of like amputation if it goes untreated for permanent nerve damage?
0: That's typically seen in patients who have diabetes, because um, like we had mentioned, if they don't feel their extremities, they may be prone to injuring them without knowing them. Um, and then patients with diabetes also tend to have a lot of vascular disease as well, and their, their uh, healing abilities are, are compromised. So if they injure themselves, they're not aware, it could set up an infection, and then if that um, infection takes hold, it, it may be difficult to treat. And that, that's, con- that's the typical scenario where we, where we see neuropathies contribute. to to amputations.
1: So, the last thing I want to talk about here is prevention. So, if someone's listening to this podcast and they're trying to be mindful about ways to reduce their risk of neuropathy or prevent it from getting worse, you kind of touched on this, but what are some some tips or advice that you would give to help them kind of just prevent this from getting worse?
0: That's a great question. And um, I always tell my patients that what's healthy for you is healthy for your nerves. Um, so it's making sure that you eat a, a, a varied um, diet. Um, there is actually some pretty good evidence about the uh, Mediterranean diet and reducing cardiovascular and stroke risks. So I, I believe that's also probably beneficial for nerve function as well. Maintaining a healthy weight is also really important. There is some research coming out to show that obesity and having um, an increased waist circumference might be associated um, with neuropathy. And then staying active and, and exercising is, is always a, a, a big part of this as well. So if you think about all the things that that are going to be good for your heart good for your lungs and, and good for you a uh, uh, good chance that it's also going to be um, good for your nerves as well and and may make the risk of getting neuropathy later in life a little bit less
1: absolutely always makes sense it always goes back down to exercise eat right don't stress
0: <laughs> we, we know the things that that can keep us healthy actually doing them uh, every day and, and putting it into practice that's that's much more difficult yeah <laughs> I think we all struggle with that, yes. me included.
1: <laughs> Agreed. Great. Well, that's all the time we have today. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Dr. Clater, for being here. It's my pleasure. To learn more about neuropathy and treatment options available, visit clevelandclinic.org neuromuscular. If you want to listen to more Health Essentials podcasts by Cleveland Clinic experts, subscribe on iTunes or visit clevelandclinic.org slash And don't forget, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Cleveland Clinic, all one word, to stay up to date on the latest health tips, news, and information. Thanks for listening.